I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Meryl Frank, author of Unearthed, a lost actress, a forbidden book, and a search for life in the shadow of the Holocaust. As a child, Meryl Frank was the chosen inheritor of family remembrance. Her Aunt Molly insisted that Meryl never forget who they were, where they came from, and the hate that that nearly destroyed them. Over long afternoons, Molly told Meryl about the city, the theater, and Meryl's cousin, the radiant Franya Winter, who was the leading light of Vilna's Yiddish theater. Yet there was one thing her Aunt Molly would never tell Meryl, how Franya died. Before Molly passed away, she gave Meryl a Yiddish book containing the terrible answer, but forbade her to read it. For years, she obeyed, but eventually, during Meryl's search for Franya, she discovered the shocking truth. Meryl Frank is an international champion of women's leadership and human rights. She was appointed ambassador to the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women by President Barack Obama in 2029, and in 2012 was selected as one of the most influential Jews in the world by the Jerusalem Press. Welcome to the show, Meryl. Nice to have you on. Thanks for having me. My first question is, why is unearthed? important to us now, this kind of a story? Why do we need to hear the story now? Well, I think right now there's a problem in the United States and around the world, and that is the increase in anti-Semitism. But it's more than that. This is, this is a story about the Holocaust and about one of the six million, but it's also a story about hate and how do we react to it. And you, as the inherit, I said this, I guess, in, in the very beginning, in in my intro, uh, the chosen inheritor of family remembrance. So you're the person who, in your family, who was chosen to, let's talk about that in detail. You're the one who is supposed to put all of this in a, a context in your own family. Uh, yes, the Holocaust was all about hate uh, and there's a re. I don't know if it, is it a resurgence or have we always have have we evolved or are we still back? I guess in the same uh, emotional state that we were during the Holocaust. Well, that's a good question. I think um, you know we're thinking about this now because of the resurgence. There, this year alone, they said that there was both FBI and the ADL, the Anti Defamation League, have estimated there's a twenty percent increase in anti-Semitic acts. Now, the question is, is there something new going on, or were these feelings there, but they've been unearthed? (laughs) Um, Were they feelings that that were not comfortable to say in the past, but now people are feeling that they can make statements that they, and actions that for a very long time were unacceptable? So tell us about... This history... Yeah. I'm sorry. This no, go ahead. Is this history is thousands of years old. Um, mm-hmm. A history of discrimination and hate against the Jewish people. But unfortunately, it was only 80 years ago where we had the Holocaust and something as enormous as that. But to see it rising again now is is a real problem, especially since we think that we have advanced. And in fact, in this case, we have not. How can your experience... Um... I mean, you're a, a, 
a woman who's uh, one of the 50 most influential Jews in the world. So I'm going to give you that title right now. Uh, with that <laughs> title, what <laughs> what can you how can, what can you do? What's your message? How you know? Also, in terms of let's put it again in the context of of uh, your family's story and and what happened to them. Right. Well, you know, I, as, as you said earlier, I was designated as the memorial candle, the person in my family that would remember the history. And even at a very young age, I was told stories about the family and the lives that they lived before the war. Um, I was named after my grandmother, and for some reason, I think they saw me as some sort of reincarnation of her. Not, not literally, but they saw me as the one that would tell the stories. You know, I think it was a tremendous burden for a child to hear all of this. And then when I would ask what happened, it was, they're all gone. They didn't make it. And I would sit and look at these beautiful family photographs, the kind that many of us have on cardboard stock, you know, with the ancestors looking stern and, and not smiling. And, but there was one, there was one member of the family who stood out. And that was my cousin, Franya, the actress. She was in costumes and she was dressed as a porter or a queen or a little girl. And she just looked so alive. She was in black and white too, but to me, she seemed to be in color. And she was, she was someone that I could identify with. She looked like she was fun. And, but when I would ask what happened to her, again, all they would say to me was, she's gone. And so I spent time growing up and thinking about, well, what does this mean? And reading everything that I could on the Holocaust, but still no answers. Until my aunt gave me that book that you mentioned, it was called 21 and One, and it was about 22 actors who died in the Vilna ghetto. She showed it to me. She showed me the picture of my cousin, and it was in Yiddish, so I couldn't read it. She handed it to me and said, I want you to take this book. I want you to keep it. And hand it down to your children, but don't ever read it. Now, I think, you know, parents and and family members don't want to tell their children about the horrors of the world. And back to your question about what do we do about this and what does it mean? In my own experience, I think that it's important that we do tell them. That we tell them that the world isn't always a beautiful place but that they have a role, that they can do something. And in fact, I did tell my children. I interviewed them for the book, at the end of the book, after I tell the story. And this is what's unique about it as a Holocaust story. You don't just learn what happened to Sonia, and that took seven years of research. But I speak to my children and I say, look, I talk to you about the Holocaust all the time. Did I make you paranoid? And my children, they told me about a game they played when they were young. They would play the Holocaust game. And they would hide in their bed under the covers with their stuffed animals and say, they're coming, they're coming, hide. And I was horrified. I thought, what did I do to my beautiful children? (laughs) Did I make them crazy? Did I make them afraid of their neighbors? And they said, no, mom, no. You didn't make us paranoid. You made us aware. And they also told me that I I made it very clear to them that they needed to do something about that. I gave them a sense of agency, that they could be the answer, that if they see injustice, 
against Jews, against racial injustice, anti-Semitic injustice. Even in their case, they brought up climate change, something that they see as an injustice. They need to stand up and speak out. And I think that what I've learned is that people who tell their children about the horrors of the world, but don't give them this sense of agency, sometimes those are the ones that can be paranoid and can be sort of paralyzed by it. But when you can do something, it gives you a sense that you matter and that the world is not uncontrollable, but it's, there's something that you can do to change things. You, you can't change it, as you say, unless you are aware. And I guess I, to me anyway, awareness is the key word. I think the other thing is, particularly today, <clears throat> you're the one who's, or one of the people, or, uh, who are providing that information. I mean, your kids, they have information uh, from all over the world anytime they want, you know, since the That's advent right. of the in- internet. So you might as well be a part of that conversation. I mean, I think that's, I mean, you're the most that's important. That's absolutely part. right. Yeah. Yeah. So how many, but I, think I was, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think it's scary for parents to tell their children about some of the difficult things in the world, tragedy. And they don't want to, they feel that they're hurt their children. Whereas I feel that a little bit of fear is okay. It's actually a good thing. We need to know what the reality of life in this world is. Fear is a motivator. I mean, if we're complacent, that we doesn't usually motivate us to do too much. Parents are afraid to tell their children about sex, too. But that is a reality. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, so that it is critical. Now, you, uh, each one of your children, I would imagine, had a different or has a different reaction to your story. Well, I, it's very interesting. <laughs> I have four children. They're all grown now. And um, yes, they have different reactions. They loved the book. My youngest, however, said to me, she was so happy that she loved the book because she was afraid if she didn't like it, what would she say to me? <laughs> yeah. She'd have to hide but the truth, I guess, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but they love it. They think it's important. And I think that it gives some legitimacy to the idea that you can talk about these things. That even with your friends, you can talk about anti-Semitism. You know, people are are reluctant to say anything. They're not reluctant to say other forms of hatred, but they feel um, intimidated about it. Now, in my case, my children have a comfortable life, but they also know that that can be taken away in a moment. And I think that it gave them a sense of empathy also for the other. And, you know, it's, I don't think it was any great parenting of mine. I think my children are extraordinary people. But um, there's a lesson to be learned here. And that is hearing Sonia's story and hearing what it took to find all of this information and what ultimately happened to her. It gives you a sense that these are real people, that these are things that happen to people who are like us, who have joys in their lives and sorrows and make mistakes, who are you know, interesting, full people, and that that can happen, that that's real, and that that is still happening around the world. You just mentioned what it took to do this, um, this journey, I'll call it. Uh, so tell us, what did it take? I mean, that does it for well, you to be seven yeah. years of research. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't read the book that my aunt gave me. 
And eight years ago, I received an email from the Memorial de la Shoah in Paris, which is their Holocaust Museum. Someone delivered 50 photographs of an actress in costume and her family. And he didn't know who they were. He found them 40 years ago and kept them. There was Yiddish writing on the back, so he assumed that they were Jews and they were no longer alive. But after 40 years, he decided to bring them to the museum. And the archivist who met him also was enchanted by Vranya. And she took five months looking for the family, and she found me. So I flew off to Paris, and I saw them, and I realized that this is something that I needed to do. I needed to write this book. Now, my aunt had always told me that because we came from a family like this, because of the war, because of the Holocaust, it was my role, partly as the memorial candle, to to help try to fix the world, to, to, to take action, to be somebody who was involved in social change. And so I spent a lifetime doing this work. But it wasn't until I started this book that I realized I was meant to do this. I was meant to tell their story and to give them their humanity back and their dignity back. And by doing that, I was also able to find some peace. I spent um, these seven years in archives in Lithuania and France, and I traveled all over um, in Israel, in the United States. Some of the documents I found were at the YIVO Institute for Jewish Research in New York. They had documents that were buried under the ground of the ghetto. The ghetto inmates understood that their history was important, and they wanted to preserve it even if they didn't live. And after the war, a few of them did survive and remembered where it was hidden and dug them up and then smuggled them out because they didn't trust the Soviets to take care of this, smuggled them out and brought them to the YIVO Institute in New York. And there I was able to find her actor's union cards and her in programs for plays and posters and letters. And so I was able to start filling out who she was. In the archives in Lithuania, I was able to find her, her passport applications and the census. And in, I, I hired people to look in Russian newspapers and Polish and Yiddish and, um, all, and English. Also, I didn't have to hire those, um, to look for any information they could find on Franya. And so I was able to find reviews of her on stage. And I was able to find information about the life that she led and the people that were around her so that I could reconstruct her life. Eventually, I found testimony of someone who was with actress Franja Winter when she fought the Nazis and when they killed her. So without reading the book, I was able to reconstruct her life and her fate. But eventually, after five years of research, I decided it was time to read the book. How could you, I, that's my question, I thought about this, how how did you resist reading the book, especially as you're going through this whole process of, you know, researching and trying to find out who she was, just emotionally, how did you well, stay if, away from that book? Well, if you, under, if you knew my Aunt Molly, you'd understand. <laughs> she was a formidable woman, and she was dead by then, but still she was formidable, and you know, I was respected her wishes. I, and I am not the type of person 
that when somebody says, don't do something, I don't do it. I usually will want to do it. But in this case, I thought she must have a reason. Either Franya's death was so horrible that she didn't want me to know, or perhaps she did something shameful in order to stay alive, or maybe she was a collaborator. I didn't know what the reason was, but I knew it must have been very important for my aunt to say, don't read it. And you didn't. I I guess Molly must, yeah, she was a formidable character (laughs) in your life. She was. She was was a brilliant woman. And she, she was the one that imparted all of this history. And so she, we we would, I would sit with her and pop M&Ms while she was telling me stories about the family. I knew where they lived in Vilna. I knew Vilna is now Vilnius, Lithuania, but I knew where they lived. I knew the kind of lives they lived. I knew what they wore. And I had all of the stories. But it abruptly stopped with the war, and I had to find out what happened. Did it almost become like an obsession? I mean, as you're describing it. It was an obsession, absolutely. I thought about the Holocaust every single day of my life. And I, it was until I was able to come to some peace with it. The way that I did that, by the way, was... I was able to find our family home on Airbnb. And at first I was afraid to stay there. I thought there's ghosts. Mm -hmm. But then I realized if there's ghosts there, they love me. (laughs) So I shouldn't be afraid. No, they're family. What I did. That's right. (laughs) So I, I reenacted her escape from the ghetto on the day that I estimated she left the ghetto. And I walked to Ashmiani, that's a city in Belarus, a town really, in Belarus, which was 30 miles away. I walked and hitchhiked to that site where I know that she was murdered. And it was at that site where I found some peace. And my children will say, I don't talk about the Holocaust all the time anymore. You know, they used to say to me, no Holocaust books on vacation they, you know, they knew that I was obsessed with it, and I talked about it all the time. But I was able to find peace, and I think trauma of many different types of trauma, if, if you look at the source, if you look at the context, there can be some healing. This is why I think, you know, I don't know if your, your listeners watch Henry Louis Gates' Finding Your Roots. On that show, he has celebrities, and he finds their family tree, and every single one of them cries. And I think the reason they cry is they understand a context of their life. They understand why things were the way they were, and maybe why they are the way they are. And so doing this research into our families and into, in some cases, there may be trauma, in others not. But it helps give you a sense of who you are, but also that life goes on. So it has to be somewhat freeing, I mean, once you're able to do that. And and I'm thinking about now um, writing the book, finishing the book, um, giving birth to the book. That has to add some, I I would assume, some peace, some uh, resolution um, once you've been able. Because I realize. I realized I did what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to 
give them an identity. You know, they were supposed to be erased from the earth. That's what was meant to happen to them. And what I was able to do for my family, or for this one person, for Franya, is to give a name and a face and a voice to one of the six million. And I think in that way, people people can relate to it. They can understand a human being and they can cry for her. Whereas you hear six million, it just doesn't mean anything. When I finished the book, I kept thinking, I did it. I kept saying, I did it. I did it. And I felt that I did what I was supposed to do, what I was meant to do. Well, you did it, and hopefully you're not done, because there can be some of those feelings too, I would assume, some a loss. I mean, this has been something you've been doing for years and years. You've been told as you kid, you know, um, totally attached to um, the research, the book, but then when you actually accomplish it, isn't, uh, is there a, a loss? Honestly, of, there's not. There's no? not a sense of loss. There's actually, I, I feel um, enabled by it. I, I, what I'm doing is people that have read the book are saying to me, you know, I could do this. I could find, and, and it doesn't have to be a Holocaust story. They can find their family history. They can they say, oh, there's all of this information out there. Now, of course, people can't take seven years out of their life to research. But, you know, I like to talk to people about, about their family trees. And, you know, a tree is just a skeleton. It's the stories that make the family history. And so I've been talking to people about how do you find those stories? How do you record them while you can? But there are so many ways to find this information and to fill in the gaps. And so that's what I've been doing. And I, I think I'm going to dedicate the next year to spreading the message about, about hate and about talking about it, not being silent. And, um, and then there's another chapter. It's a different book. And for the first time in my life, I feel that I've done what I was supposed to do. And there may be another chapter and that I'm very interested in. And, um, and that it, it right now, if you're interested, it, I'm very interested in climate change and the Great Green Wall. The Great Green Wall is a wall across Africa of green, of planting, and it should be enough to replace what's being lost in the Amazon. Now, you may not think that's connected to my book, but it is. It's about dealing with tragedy and how do you deal with it and how do you take action? How do you do something when you see something that is concerning you? Well, climate change in the same way, there is that connection. We have buried the issue of climate change, uh, global warming. We've changed the name. Nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody wanted to hear about it. Well, now it's here and has been for a long time. So. Yeah. We have Holocaust deniers, and we also have climate deniers. I'm waiting for your so, next book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it'll be a book. First, I have to get into it, and, but it's something that interests me, and I think that there's a very clear line between one and the other. And, and I really learned this from my children, because when they spoke to me about hate, they also brought up what they're most afraid of right now, and that is the climate. And my children are in their late 20s and 30s, but I don't think it's unusual. I think a lot of younger people are very afraid of that. They're certainly afraid of hate. 
and racism and anti-Semitism and um, Islamophobia and all of this, but they're also afraid of climate. And it's something that I think um, that we need to expose in the same way that we have to expose no, we All only have a couple. Forms of we hate. have a couple minutes left, so I do want you to give us more information. I just have one more one comment that uh, you know the bad people talk about hate, but the good people are afraid to talk about hate. So I think that uh, what you've done, uh, particularly with this book, is is really critical. Um, Unearthed: A Lost Actress, A Forbidden Book, and A Search for Life in the Shadow of the Holocaust. And the author is Meryl. Frank. So, Meryl, give us more information or where we can get more information about the book and you. Well, I will be traveling all over and talking wherever I can about the message of this book. And my my website is www.merylfrank.com. And I'd love to hear from people. They read the book and they have ideas. I'd love to hear from them. They can contact me through that website. And um, and if anyone is interested in me coming and speaking with them to book groups or to civic groups, um, I want to spread the message that that fear that we shouldn't be afraid of fear. That's a good message to leave us with. And I thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. <laughs> 